So I want to talk this morning to you about this question. Who are you? Now that's not a question for you to stand up and give me your name, your surname, how old you are, your social security number or your ABN number or your TFE number. I, I, I don't need that. This is not a police inquest and asking you where you were or what you've done. This is a spiritual question I want to ask you this morning. Who are you? And we're going to study and look at John the Baptist. And we're going to see how he responded on this question. So first of all, I want you to open up your Bibles to Luke, the book of Luke chapter 1. We come across this man called John the Baptist. John the Baptist is not the man who wrote the Gospel of John. You'd be surprised how many people still think that. That this John we're talking about here, John the Baptist, the one who baptized Jesus Christ, is not the one who wrote the Gospel. We're going to follow John the Baptist from when there was a prophecy about his birth all the way through till he died this morning. In Luke chapter 1 verse 5, the Word of the Lord says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. What a wonderful name. If you want to have children, one day just call him Zacharias. Okay? This man was called Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blamelessly. That is a wonderful thing to hear about people, isn't it? Notice they didn't say what their status was in life. Have you noticed? Notice they didn't say how rich or how poor these people were. They both were righteous before God. What a wonderful family when husband and wife can be said the same thing like these two people. That both husband and wife were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blamelessly. If there's one thing that's needed these days in the world, is for people to walk blamelessly. Verse 7, But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as the priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn the incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. And in verse 13 he says, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be a great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What a wonderful prophecy. To a man who was walking righteous before the Lord, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. And he says there at the last part of verse 17, he says, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Can I ask you this morning at the start of the sermon, are you ready? Are you prepared for the Lord? 
if the Lord comes tonight, and let, let it be known here that He can come any time. We look around us, we are living in the end times. I've been preaching this word so long, my children grew up in it, my oldest son is turning 24 now, and so long I've been saying that the Lord's coming is near, and every year it's nearer. Are you prepared for the Lord? This is what John the Baptist was seen to do to the people. Prepare them for the Lord. That's the most important question that you need to answer this morning. Are you prepared? Now let's fast forward in this young boy's or this prophecy. Let's turn over to verse 59. Let's look at verse 57. He says, Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord has shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. Isn't that what the prophecy said? The prophecy said when this boy will be born, it will bring great joy. You see, this is true prophecy. If it's prophesied, it will come to pass. And verse 59 says, So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him the name of his father, Zechariah. Just to, to fill in a few gaps here, Zechariah didn't believe the angel. So he was struck dumb. He couldn't speak. He walked out burning the incense and he couldn't say a word. He had to try to communicate with them. Now he can't speak anymore. But remember when the angel came to him, he said, you shall call him John. And now he's born at this point in time. And they want to say, look, let's call him his father's name, Zechariah, Junior, or Zechariah the Little. Now I'm just filling that in. See what happens here. They said, let's call him Zechariah. And verse 60 says, his mother answered and said, no, he shall be called John. But they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying, His name is John. So they marveled. Wow! Wow! His name is John. And now they marveled about this. And verse 64, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all of the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? What kind of child? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Oh, how to have the hand of the Lord with you and with us. Think about that. The hand of the Lord was upon him. My prayer for this church is that the hand of the Lord be upon us. My prayer for my family, for my children is for the hand of the Lord to be upon them. My prayer for you is that the hand of the Lord be upon you. Listen to me, friend. We are living in a volatile world. We are living in a world which is falling apart. We are trying to make a life out of this craziness in the world. The only thing, listen to me, the only thing that's going to take you through this world is the hand of the Lord. They wondered, what kind of child this is going to be? That's not important for me. What is important in those verses is that the hand of the Lord was upon him. Is the hand of the Lord upon you? Look at yourself. Look at your lifestyle. Look where you live. You've got it easy. Just pray this prayer and say, Father, let your hand be upon me. You know what the fear of the Lord is for me? is the fear that he will lift his hand away from me. And leave me exposed. I'm not afraid of God of what He can do to me. That has been settled at the cross. That has been settled when I came to Him and I, I gave my heart to Him. That has been settled when I was born again. I don't fear what God can kill me or do to me. He saved me. He saved my soul. The fear of the Lord for me is if He lifts that hand away and you're exposed. So here we find this 
young boy. And then we don't hear anything about John the Baptist. In fact, later on we, we learned that he went into the wilderness and he lived in the wilderness. Such was made of this prophecy, so much so. And here's this boy going into the wilderness. And if you live in our day and age, if you live in the prosperity gospel of today, they would have said a life lost. Look at him, he went out and he, why didn't he go to the best theological universities? Why didn't he go to the scribes? Why not to the Pharisees? But he went to the wilderness. Sometimes the wilderness is the best place to be. And so many people complain about the wilderness. Oh, it's so tough and hard here, Lord, please take me out. But that's the place where God builds your character. And He can talk to you. Now, I don't say you have to go through a difficult time for Him to talk to you. While His blessing is upon you, listen to Him. While His hand is upon you, listen to Him. Then we don't hear about Him until... Now we go to John chapter 1 verse 19. If you want to turn in your Bibles there, if not, you can follow in the board. He says, now, this is the testimony of John. Hey, here is this John, the same man that we were just reading about. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? There's our question. Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who send us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. What did John do in the wilderness? He just didn't sit there and play goons. He didn't just sit there and count his toes and count his fingers. He just didn't sit there and waste time on an iPad. Oh, they weren't available. But he just didn't sit there and waste time. No, no, he studied the Word still. Because he knew about Isaiah. He said, I am the one, I'm the saint to be the voice. And then those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And let me just give you a little bit of background. There were two factions. The Pharisees weren't in the Old Testament. This was a new political group that came in the New Testament. And they were formed to communicate with the Romans. And the Pharisees, and then you had the Sadducees. You see, they say sad, you see, because they were sad. The Sadducees didn't believe in the afterlife. The Sadducees believed that if you die here, that's it, you're kaput, you're gone. But the Pharisees believed there is life after death. And these people said, and they also studied the Scriptures, they sent people down there because this man was pulling big crowds. And they say, who are you, so that we can go and tell these people who you are. And in verse 25 he says, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one amongst you, who you do not know. He, it is he who is coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. These things were done at Betabara beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Now, the question is, What makes this man so unique that everybody would come to him? Let's read on in Mark chapter 1 verse 6 where there is a description of how he looked. Mark chapter 1 verse 6 says, Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locust and wild honey. That's a good diet, isn't it? Did you have locusts for breakfast this morning? Not all at once, not all at once. Did you have it for dinner? That's what this man ate, locust and wild honey. And he preached saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and lose. I indeed baptize you with water, but you baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see, Matthew wrote the same thing. 
Matthew in Matthew chapter 3 verse 4 says the same. He says, And John himself was clothed with camel hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, listen to this, all Judea, all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him and the Jordan confessing their sins. Why would so many people go after this man? You've got to ask the question. Well, in fact, this is it. For 400 years, these people didn't see a prophet. He was clothed differently than all of their teachers. He didn't have the nice silk dresses they were wearing in those days. You see, they were modernized from the Old Testament by this time. Everybody was clothing well. They had their clothes on, soft. They didn't wear camel hair anymore or skins. No, they were modernized. Now, I don't know about fashion shops there. I can't make that claim there, but everybody was wearing nice clothes. If you were in the king's palace, then the more softer the fabric. But out of the blue comes this man out of the wilderness and he looks different. He wears camel hair. He's got a leather belt around his waist and he looks. In fact, he doesn't look to them because they didn't see a prophet. For 400 years they were not a prophet. That's how prophets were clothed in the Old Testament. These people didn't see a prophet in their whole life. They could only read in the Scriptures about how prophets looked. And when this man appeared, all of a sudden they looked upon him. He looked like a prophet and now they wanted to hear what he says. Now imagine for that. You know, here we stand, I've got a nice clothes on, I've got a nice jacket on, you are well clothed, and you are listening to me. Because somehow I've got some credibility with you. Well, some could say, yeah, but dad, I'm your son and I'm your daughter, I've got to be here. Well, that, we'll address that. But, you know, people can come here and they look at me and they say, we'll listen to you because you look credible, yes? But what if a person walks in here... And he looks totally different. He's got camel, he's got a, a skin on. We, we don't have camels here, or yeah, we've got in Western Australia, but let's say he comes in here with a camel coat over him and he walks in here. What's people going to say in our day and age? Who is this? He's got no credibility. Yeah, that's how we think in the Western world. But for them living in those days, they studying the scriptures thought this man is starting to look like a prophet. But friends, that's not the only thing that draw the crowds. You see, I can bring that strange man in here, but if he starts talking nonsense, what will happen? He will run for the door. This man wasn't talking nonsense. This man who came out of the wilderness was proclaiming prophecies from the prophets of the Old Testament. And this is what he said. He came out and he says, I'm the one, I'm the voice, like Isaiah said. And the message that he brought to them, draw the crowds. Now that wasn't a small crowd. From Jerusalem, from all Judea, and all the regions around the Jordan went to him. They had to see this man who looks different. Now, like I say, for 400 years there was no prophet. We have to go back. We have to go back to the Old Testament and start look to see where this prophecy came from or when the last prophecy was made. Let's go back to Malachi chapter 4. Malachi in your Bible, if you want to give yourself orientation, is the last book of the Old Testament. The last book. I'm going to read to you now the last chapter of the Old Testament. And by the way, the Jews, the Orthodox Jews, they still have it to this chapter. They still don't believe Christ has come, but we know that He did come because we've got the New Testament. So let's look at the last chapter in the last book of the Old Testament. A prophet by the name of Malachi, he says, For behold, the day is coming, listen to this, burning like an oven, they say that the ice caps are melting and the sea levels are rising and we're going to be all flooded again. You've heard that story? 
Can I say this morning that's rubbish? You say, what do you base that on? You're not a scientist and you're absolutely right. I'm not. But I listen to what the Word of God says. And you know what? If you listen to what the Word of God says, it makes you more clever than scientists. You don't even have to go and study. You say, why do you get this? Because the Bible says, listen to this, for the day is coming burning like an oven. Burn. Listen, the Bible says that this world is going to be dissolved, burned up, not as a flood again. The Bible says there's a rainbow that God has given us as a security that the world will not be flooded again. And if the Bible says it doesn't matter what our God says, doesn't matter what the scientists say, it ain't going to happen. This is what's going to happen. A burning like an oven and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. You know what is stubble? It is something that's burned. Have you seen stubble? After the fire. Now, if you are sitting here this morning and you're still conducting in pride and do wickedly things, listen, what is the Bible telling you? You will be burned. Well, that's a tough word. Well, it's not me saying it. It's the word saying it. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. You have to go and listen to last week's message because the prophecy in Daniel chapter 7 talks about the throne of God which is, has got wheels like a burning fire. And Psalm 19 says that that fire is going out in front of him. Judgment. I better keep to the message. Let's continue. He says, And the day is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like a stout fed calves. You shall tremble the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, is the Lord of hosts. Remember, this is a prophecy in the Old Testament, the last book, the last chapter, Malachi. He says that the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in His wings. For us, He did come. His name is Jesus Christ. And you know what He brought? He brought healing to our souls. So that we don't have to be burned. I don't know if you believe it or not, but there is a lake of fire. Go and read in the book of Revelation. At this point in time, the lake of fire is empty. But there is coming a day when judgment shall come. And those who were found not in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire. They will burn. That's a different message, but let's continue. Now we come to the part which I want to use. He says in verse 4, Malachi 4 verse 4, he says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgment. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. What will he do? He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Did you listen when I read through that prophecy to Zechariah? What did the angel say to Zechariah? He said, this son of yours will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. He was prophesying here about Elijah was going to come. Elijah. They came to John and they asked him, they said, who are you? You see, he came out of the wilderness, he looked like a prophet. And these people were studying the scriptures. They were studying Malachi, the last book. They were studying this. They were Jews. So what did they wait for? They were waiting for Elijah to come back. For 400 years since the last book of Malachi and the first appearance of Jesus Christ, there was 400, they call it the silent years. That's also the time of the Maccabees, if you've heard that. They were living in those days. But for 400 years the voice of the Lord was quiet. No prophet. These people were waiting for Elijah. 
I'm going to show that now to you. They come to this man who looks like the prophet now because of the scriptures and what is the first thing they think? Elijah, Christ. They were waiting for these people. They say, who are you? He confessed and did not deny but confessed, I am not the Christ. Did you see this? I don't know about you but I love to read the words like this. Why did he confess? You see that? He confessed and did not deny but confessed. What is confession? Confession is saying this is what I believe and then you tell us what you believe. If he just turned around and said, I'm not Christ. That's what a lot of people do and then you leave the question mark there. Is he telling the truth or not? He's not doing that. He's not for one minute, not for a yittle or a tittle is he trying to proclaim that he's Christ. Yet these days there are so many people who will tell you that you are a small Christ. You are not. We are man. Made in the image of God and in the likeness of God. We are not God. So he said, I am not the Christ. You see there was an expectation for the Christ to come. Look in Luke chapter 3 verse 15, he says, Now as the people were, expect, uh, were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. They were expecting the Christ to come. The, the prophecies in the Old Testament were all prophesying about the Christ to come. And when this man appeared, the first thing they asked him is, Are you the Christ? But he testified. He says, I'm not the Christ. But he testified about him. I'm not, I'm not, but he is. That's what he was saying. The one is coming after me. But they had an expectation in their hearts. Then they say to him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he says, I'm not. Now, a lot of people, commentators, the bad ones, say that he was telling a lie here. Why would a man of God tell a lie? Well, he was in fact not. Let's... Have a look at Luke chapter 1 verse 11. I've read this to you, but I want to read it again in this context. He says, are you Elijah? You see, they were expecting Christ, but when he said he's not, the next thing is Elijah, because in the book of Malachi said, I will send you Elijah. He says, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, saying, this is Zechariah, standing on the right side. Let's look at verse 15. Luke chapter 1 verse 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit of Elijah. See that? To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, disobedient of the wisdom of the to make the people ready for the Lord. So here we've got it. He says that he will come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. This was prophesied to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. Here he says, I am not. And this is it. I don't believe in reincarnation. And if he said, yes I am, he wasn't physically Elijah, but he came in the spirit of Elijah. So he wasn't telling a lie. He was telling the truth. He denied that, but he came in the spirit thereof. Can you see the difference? We're not reincarnated. He didn't come back as Elijah. You know, when I die, I'm not going to come back as an aunt. Who wants to do that? Or a, or a, uh, what is this bad, a cockroach? You know, what's the chances thereof? I'm going to die, I'm going to come back either as a cow, a monkey, an aunt, or a cockroach. You choose. Oh no, the choice is not yours, it's by chance. No, 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 we're not into that. And this is why when he says, he, the Spirit, he came and he prophesied, he says, your son, Zechariah, will come in the spirit and power of Elijah to do this. We saw the prophecy in Malachi 4. He said that this prophet will come in the spirit of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Matthew 11 verse 14, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. This is the Lord who said that to his disciples. And he was talking about John the Baptist. He says, if you're ready to receive it, he was. 
coming in that spirit. They asked him, who are you? Are you the Christ? He said, no. He confessed and he didn't deny it and he confessed that he's not the Christ. They say, Elijah. He said, no. And they said, are you the prophet? Why would they ask him this? Because they were waiting for a prophet according to Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 15. And, he, and this was Moses, okay, speaking in that time. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst. From my, your brethren, you shall hear him. According to all your desire of the Lord your God in Horeb in, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, not let me see the great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, this is Moses, And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. You see, they studied the Bible. They were waiting for the Christ, they were waiting for Elijah, and they were waiting for the prophet. And that's why they ask him this question there. They say, are you the prophet? Which they talk about in Deuteronomy. He says, no, I'm not. Who was this prophet? This prophet who came. It was Jesus. Because Jesus was like Moses. Or Moses was a forerunner of Jesus. Moses was a prophet who spoke to the people between God and the people. What did Jesus do? He said, what the Father tells me, I tell you. He was a lawgiver of Moses, just like Jesus. He said, I came to fulfill the law. And he was an intercessor of Moses. He went for the, when the people were, were, were doing sin, he went to the Lord. He says, Lord, strike them all out. The Lord said, no. He was an intercessor. Like Jesus is an intercessor for us right now. And he was a leader of his people like Jesus is a leader of his people. Now they've asked him, are you the Christ are you the, the Elijah? Are you the prophet? No, no, no. And then they turn to him and they say, Who are you then? That you gave an uh, answer to those who send us. What do you say about yourself? And he says the following. He says, I am the voice. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah. Notice he didn't say... I am the son of Zechariah. He didn't say, I am John the Baptist who baptized so many people. He didn't proclaim anything for himself. He said, I am the voice. The question is, when does a man become a voice? So it's so easy these days we want to take claim for everything. We want to take the glory and the victory. I did this, and I did that, and I did that. And especially, especially, once people stand behind the pulpit. It's more about the man than the message these days. Well, John the Baptist wasn't that kind of man. For him it was more about the message than the man. That's why they say, who are you then? He didn't say John the Baptist. The son of Zechariah. No, no. He said, I'm a voice. You see, a man becomes a voice when he desires nothing for himself. Nothing. He didn't desire anything for himself. He was happy just to be that voice. I've said it so many times. My task of a pastor, of a preacher, is not to attach you to myself. Look, I'm not going to try to fill these seats and get crowds in to say, wow, it's a great... No, no, no. No, then I'm missing the boat. I need to do what John the Baptist do. I need to say, I'm just a voice. The message is more important than me. That's what he said. And the only way you do that is if a man desires nothing for himself. When he does not consider himself at all. And when his message is everything. That's when a man becomes a voice. Can you see this in John the Baptist? You know, when, they, when Jesus came the next day, he turned to him and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. You remember when we go that? What happened? His disciples follow Jesus. Because why? 
Why didn't he run after them and say, hey, whoa, 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 come here, come here. If you guys are going to leave now, I'm going to have nobody sitting in the church. He didn't do that. Why? Because he was pointing them to Christ. He didn't say, look, I'm better than that guy. He didn't say, look, I can do this for you. He didn't do any of that. He pointed him towards Jesus Christ. And that is when a man becomes a voice. And that's what we need to be. Every single man who stands behind the pulpit needs to point towards Christ and become a voice. He says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Where is his crying come from? He comes from the wilderness. That hard school of knocks of life. Yeah? I listen to people's testimonies and if they testify and, and they, if there's too many eyes in their testimonies, then they're not a voice anymore. It's more about me, myself and I. That, that he came from the wilderness, this voice. He didn't come from the theological school or the university or the Bible school. He came from the wilderness. Saul of Tarsus came face to face with Jesus Christ on the road of Damascus. And the Lord spoke to him. And what happens? He went to the wilderness of Arabia for three years. He spent time in the wilderness. When does he become that? Now, because he said, look, I'm just a voice, because he didn't say I'm the Christ, now they, they deem him not to be an important person anymore. Can you see how the question comes from the top and he just falls all over? You're not Christ. You're not Elijah, so you're not that important. You're not the prophet. Who are you then? Well, if he said, I'm John, the son of Zechariah, that would have given him some esteem, yeah? But then he says, I'm a voice. I'm nothing. And to this point they then turn to him and they say to him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, Elijah or the prophet? You, you want to know why they ask that question? Because they were waiting for a king. They were waiting for the Christ or Elijah or the prophet. Remember, they wanted the king to take them as a, a king away from the Romans under the bondage of the Romans. And before that could happen, the, the people needed to be cleansed. And the only way a Jew knew how to be cleansed was to be baptized. And when he stood there and there was no claim that he was important at all, hey, why are you baptizing these people? Why are you cleansing these people? This is, this is what they wrote to him. And John answered them. And he said, I baptize with water, but there stands one amongst you whom you do not know. It is he who is coming after me that I prefer before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to lose. You see, they were thinking about this prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 36, or the prophet Ezekiel, I should say, when he said, Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. This is why they asked that question. Because they studied the prophecies. If you want to understand the Bible a little bit more, read it. Open it up. They did it. And, and you, you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will take heart of stone in your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues. And you will keep my judgment and do them. You see, when a Jew read that, they were waiting for Christ. Elijah the prophet to come and cleanse the nation so that he can become king and they can take from the Romans. They were looking at it in a physical sense. This was talking about being born again. This prophecy was for you and for me. Because the only way that the Spirit of God can live in us is if this happens. If he takes the stone heart how many things have people done to you and you became so hard against them? And then to top it off, they are sitting in church. Then you became so hard against the church. And in fact, if you become hard against the church, you are becoming hard against God. 
Listen to me this morning. If you are hard against the church, then you're hard against God. Why? Because Jesus Christ came to do what? And He established the church. He made the church. But you've got a stone heart because somebody offended you. You want to know how you get rid of a stone heart? You become humble. You don't wait for those people to come and apologize. You become humble. Because they're not walking around with a stone heart. You are walking around with a stone heart. And this is what this prophecy says. He says, I will come and make and give you a fleshly heart. Forget what people have done to you. They've moved on. And you are still stuck with that thing that weighs you down. You know what a stone does? Every time you bump your toe against it, it gives you the pain. Every time you hit your head upon it, you get a sore head. And they are walking on and laughing and, and enjoying their life. And this, is, this was for us. They were thinking it was for them in a physical nature. And yes, it did happen. It is happening in a physical nature. But we need to learn out of this. He says, I will give you a new heart. Oh, Father, that I can have a new heart. Take this old stone thing away and give me that new heart. This is what he does. This is being born again. He make you new. He cleanses you from all your filthiness. If I start telling you about the filthiness of my life, you'll say, whoa, he's got no more credibility with me and you'll walk out. But guess what he did? He gave me that water of life that washed it away. doesn't matter what people say, no matter what this happens. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You see, let me say this. Even this verse here in the Old Testament was talking against law. And watch out. You know, some people will come and try to get you to to do law, I'm going to be a better Christian, you know. This week I'm going to try hard. Well, you've become a law unto yourself. You can try as hard as you can. Without the Spirit, you will achieve nothing. It is the Spirit of God that helps you to walk in His statutes. Can I say that again? No, in fact, I'm going to say it again. It's the Spirit of God that will help you to walk in His statutes. No use you... Let's just test this. How many times did you try to go on a diet? Like me, plenty of many a times. And you know what you do? The first thing you do when you go on a diet, you set yourself some laws up. Thou shalt not eat the chocolate cake. <laughs> Thou shalt not have a Coca-Cola with the chocolate cake. And you know how that law changes? Thou shalt have only one piece of chocolate cake and one sip of Coca-Cola. And what happened? You've already broken the law because you said in the first time, thou shalt not have it. Now it's only one piece and guess what happens at the end of it? You ate the whole cake. And you drank the whole, the whole Coke and you feel sick. Yes? Because you make your own laws and you are meant to break the laws. The Bible is full of laws. You know, I've known of a man who took the fruit of the Spirit, put it up in his house to remind him every day. Yeah, that's a good thing. But if you make it into a law unto yourself, it's in your own power, you will not be able to uphold it. Here it says, I will put my Spirit within you to cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Why? Because of my Spirit. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 25. But to bring it back in context, they said, why do you then baptize if you are not one of these people? And John said, this is why I do it. I want to hurry on and finish off. I want to put this question to you this morning, which was put to John. Who are you? I think by now you realize this is not a police question to you. This is not a social question to you. This is not, I know everybody in this place. It's not who are you as a person. This is who are you now that you know that Jesus Christ was born for you. He died for your sins. He intercedes for you. He is ready to give you a flesh heart for a stone heart. If people come to you and ask you in a spiritual sense, who are you? Some people will answer this question with no reply. No reply. John gave a reply, didn't he? He gave him a reply straight away. He says, I'm the voice. 
of one calling from the wilderness. And here he says, what is the question? Are, are you one of those people who just give no reply? Because it's a conscience question for you. You see, conscience, dear friends, seek to know how we stand toward God. That's what your conscience do. How are you standing towards God? If I ask you this morning, I look you in the face and I say, Who are you? Are you going to be a no replier? So you're going to ignore the question? You're going to be silent, say nothing, because you're so afraid to say it? But I want you to know that your silence is also an answer. Because you're going to stand before God one day and He's going to ask you the question. And then you can't be silent. And He's going to say, one day that question was asked to you, why didn't you answer? You see, some people will have a reply. But they have an empty, glorious answer. What does that mean? The answer is empty because it's all about you. I've showed you this before this. And it's empty and it's glorious. It's all the things that you've done. Oh, I'm such a good person. Oh, I've done this and I've done this and I've done, and I give it all away. And, I, and it's all. It's a glorious, empty answer. John gave an humble answer. Is your answer going to be self-praise? What you've done? Some people... It's an embarrassment, and they give an undetermined answer. You see, John gave a clear, direct answer who he was. For some people, it's a doubtful one. Oh, you know, I don't know. Oh, I don't know whether I'm a Christian or not. You know, I'm still working it out still. It's unclear. It's, it's an embarrassment for, that people can ask you this question. Are you born again? Are you a Christian? Who are you? Is that you? Or are you the one who gives no reply? Or are you the one who's, who's got this empty, glorious answer? Or are you one of those who gives an honest answer? If this question is asked to you, there are those who answer faithfully. I'm a sinner, but I found grace because Christ was born for me. That stone heart is gone and he gave me a flesh heart. Which one of these answers are you? If somebody asks you the question, who are you? Now, we've looked at John his whole life through. He answered these questions. He's lived his life. He was taken up in a jail after all of this. He was sitting in a dungeon. And then, sitting behind jail, he sent disciples to Jesus to try to find out. He says, are you the one or have we made a mistake? And then we find this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 7. And as they departed, the people who came to him, the disciples of John, came to him and asked him this question. And he said, go and tell John, the blind see. He says, I'm doing the work. I'm Christ. I'm here. It's not all in vain. And as, as those people departed, he turned to his disciples and he says this of this man. This is a wonderful encapsulation of all of it. He says, and as they departed, Jesus began to say, this is Matthew eleven seven. Jesus began to say to the multitudes, Concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? We've addressed that, didn't we? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But, sharp contrast, what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. You see what, what humility did? You see what listening to God did? You see what being faithful to God did? This is Jesus talking about John. This is his epitaph. You can put this on his gravestone because shortly after that he died. How wonderful would it be if you walk upon his gravestone this day and you read these words of Christ. Friend, what is going to stand on your tombstone one day? Here lies so and so. You don't want to know. <laughs> Is that it? Here lies so and so. Phew! Glad they're gone. Here lies so and so, a man or a woman of the word. 
We, we see those things. And here is what we read about John. And, and he says in Matthew 11 verse 10, For this is he whom it is written, Behold, I sent my messenger before your face, who will prepare the way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, listen to this, among those born of a woman, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. He didn't proclaim that. Jesus said that of him. What will Jesus say about you this morning? If we have Jesus standing here, and, and, I, and, I, and I say your name for him, and I say, Lord, what about this person? What will he say? This is what he said. He said about John. And just before a man can get all of that pride inside of him, he said, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That's a different message. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Huh. Have you heard about the self-proclaimed prophets these days? Ladies and gentlemen, we present to you prophet. And they gave the guy's name. I want to read one verse to them. I want to say, it says out of Jesus' own words, in Matthew chapter 11 verse 13, for all the prophets, all, what does all mean? All means all the prophets, and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has an ear, let him hear. So who are you this morning? Are you going to give no reply? Are you going to give an empty, glorious reply? Are you going to be embarrassed? Or are you going to give a truthful reply? Let's pray.